Welcome to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. I'm D.T. Kane, author of the epic fantasy series The Agersfar Saga and The Spoken Books Uprising. Each week, I read from one of my novels, discuss my writing process, answer your questions, and have general discussions about fantasy fiction. It's like a book club, except I do all the work for you. Find show notes, info about all my novels, and much more at dtkane.com. Here's the show. Chapter 10 They rode in silence, heading north on the Great Road. The thoroughfare was wide and well-paved this close to the city, but not expansive enough that each of the three groups could ride side by side while still maintaining space between them. So instead, they proceeded in a strung-out line, Hellar's group at the front, Marla in the middle, and Deliritus bringing up the rear. Baz slumped in his saddle. Already his thighs hurt and his back ached, and they were only fifteen minutes into the journey, erstwhile still visible in the rear view. Morosely, Baz wondered whether the cityless who'd been captured by the conservators had walked parts of this road. In all likelihood, he'd come from somewhere north of the Inkwell River, and the only major crossing near erstwhile was the one they'd reach in about two weeks' time on the path they currently traveled. Thinking of that Sidilus brought Tax to mind and what he'd said about the Sidilus's ravings, that they were a reference to that old child's tale about the enigma and the prophecies he'd written. Sometimes, Baz wished he had such carefree memories from childhood, of a father who'd told him stories at bedtime. But in a way... He was grateful for the calamity that had befallen him early in life, having to witness what grasping at freedom had gotten his brother. As terrible as it had been, at least it had taught Baz early on the reality of his existence, the uselessness of resisting his circumstances. He slouched further forward, which increased the burning pain in his lower back, darkening his mood further still. They reached a slight bend in the road a short time later, and once they took it, erstwhile was gone from view. Marla trotted her horse forward, trailed by her harbor and speaker, and pulled up alongside Hellar. They were too far away to hear anything, but it was clear that they were conversing with one another in hushed tones. Baz eyed them with a resigned wariness and wondered how long it would be before something unpleasant occurred. Let's go join them. What do you say? Deliritus said. Baz glowered at the Torchsire heir. Doesn't look like they're interested in chatting with you. Nonsense, Deliritus laughed. Come along, Bastion. Rocks? Without awaiting a reply, Deliritus clicked at his horse and urged it forward. Rocks followed him without comment, which left Baz alone. Heaving out a sigh, he moved forward as well. He must have dug his heels into his horse's side with too much force as the animal nearly threw him off. Cursing, he slowed it to a trot and caught up with Deliritus just as he began to address the other two readers, who had stopped their mounts at the sound of Deliritus's approach. 
I say, Marla and Hellar, a fine day to start the trials, eh? Hellar glanced up at the overcast sky. The edges of Marla's mouth curled up into what might have been a smile, though Baz's spine tingled at the sight. Deliritus, she said in a tone so friendly that Baz immediately found it concerning. I don't recall inviting you over. Deliritus's smile faltered, but only for an instant. There were many bad things that could have been said of Deliritus, but he was persistent when he put his mind to a thing. Ah, sorry, the Torchsire heir said. I didn't mean to interrupt, but I thought we might talk about our plans for getting to Tome. Now Marla's expression had undoubtedly devolved into a scowl. Hellar considered Deliritus with his fish-gray eyes like an illet might consider a day-old bit of porridge, trying to decide whether it had spoiled. Neither one spoke. Deliritus scratched behind one ear, chuckling to break the silence. Look, I know you don't intend to ally with me. It's below a Xavier to ally with a library with the standing of Torch, sire, and Kolnar considers us direct competition. I get it. But until we reach Hamlet, we've got to share this road, and once we do, we'll have to decide who's taking which way to Tome. I thought we could at least be civil about it. We'll be seeing one another for years to come once the trials are over. Marla snorted derisively, but Hellar tilted his head to one side, as if at least considering the possibility that the lumpy mush before him hadn't lost all possible use. I find your effort at diplomacy intriguing, Hilar said. His voice was a monotone, as if he'd never experienced a true emotion in his life. But underlying any diplomatic gesture is a desire to bargain. What could a torch sire offer a Xavier? Deliritus shrugged. You're right. I haven't got much. But you know who does? Hellar tilted his head to the other side, moving it in an unnaturally slow arc. His pale eyes never left Deliritus. Who? he finally asked, voice evoking a feeling like that in the air when a storm lay just beyond the horizon. Excal Library, Deliritus said. Ever since their victory three years ago, their fortunes have been looking up. For the first time, Hilar's face showed the slightest bit of reaction, his mouth turning downward. Exgal Library is but a lichen on the edifice of Xavier Tower, he said. Maybe, Deliritus said, but it's creeping higher and higher each year. My father shows me the figures. My good man, you'll need friends at the table in the coming years if you're to maintain your position. With his head still tilted, Hellar tapped a single finger against his lips. You have authority to commit your father to such a bargain? Hellar, what are you? The Xavier heir raised his other hand to silence Marla. The stare she gave him would have melted steel, though Hellar didn't even seem to notice it. My father will abide by any bargain I strike, yes, Deliritus said. Baz raised his eyebrows at that. He was almost certain Duke Octavenal had given his son no such latitude. 
Once more, he had to begrudgingly give Deliritus some credit for how steadily he'd asserted that lie. Terms? Hellar asked. Oh, nothing onerous, Deliritus said. I certainly don't expect you to let me win. Just that we keep treatment of one another to a level of mild contempt rather than that of blood enemies, and that we not try to murder one another's speakers and harbors like a bunch of animals. We go our separate ways at Hamlet and stay away from each other until Tome. I'll even agree to be the one who spends an extra day in Hamlet while one of you takes the road through the Emerald Forest and the other heads off to the Reach before I follow one of you. And what of when we reach Tome? Same terms, unless we each discover the same spoken book. Then we revert back to trial standard rules. No killing one another, but anything else goes. Hellar continued to tap his lips for quite a while before finally saying, Very well. What? snarled Marla. You can't agree to that, Hellar. We had... I said very well, Marla. Hellar's voice cut like a blade through cold flesh, and Marla fell silent, though her eyes still burned with rage. Ride with us, Deliritus. Thank you. Deliritus said, tipping his plumed hat to Hellar. The three speakers eased their horses into a slow trot and rode off down the road together, leaving their respective speakers and harbors to trail behind. Baz could hardly believe it. Had Deliritus actually just done something... useful? After that, the first few days of the trip actually weren't so bad. Sleeping on the ground was awful as Baz seemingly managed to position his spine directly atop a pile of rocks each time he slept. But Deliritus proved he wasn't a complete fool. He insisted that rocks keep watch each night to ensure there was no foul play from the others. Initially, Baz had thought this a fine idea. Hellar might have been appeased by Deliritus's offer, but Baz had his doubts about Marla, and anything that upped the chances of her staying away from him while he slept seemed prime thinking. But after a few hours that first night of staring up at the night sky, listening to rocks hum ballads from Enigma to pass the time, Baz wanted to bash the harbor over the head for some peace and quiet. That there seemed to be a sort of quiet sadness in the harbor's music only agitated Baz all the more. But aside from those comparatively minor discomforts, all nine of them stuck together in relative harmony. They camped separately from each other at night, but in close proximity. Deliritus made small talk with Hellar during the day, and even Marla seemed to have contained her inhumanity to a reasonable level. At least, no one woke up to a slit throat or a bashed-in skull. Bass had even put the hood of Liana's cloak up a few times when the wind had become particularly biting, and no one had said a thing to him about it. Altogether, it was turning out a million times better than he'd expected. On the evening of the fourth night, they camped by a small pond. Baz was brushing down their horses when Trunnell wandered over to the pond to fill his water skin. "'How's it going, Trunnell?' Baz asked. The influencer gave a start, dropping his water skin into the pond. Mumbling a curse, he retrieved it, then cast a glance toward Hellar's camp before looking back to Baz. 
He shrugged. Baz fumed. Can't even talk to me without your speaker's permission? Trunnell's face darkened. I can speak if I wish. Right, Baz said, going back to brushing his horse. When your lips aren't stuck together with Hellar's boot black. What did you say? Baz lifted his head back up from the brushing, ready to clarify that he'd been commenting on Trunnell kissing his reader's boots. But his eyes fell to the brand on Trunnell's forehead, and he bit back the remark. Trunnell didn't deserve Baz's disdain. He was just trying to get by, same as Baz. In fact, Trunnell was ordinarily more cordial than most toward Baz. Jumpiness was out of character for the influencer. Burning pages. Trunnell was probably just as worried about finding Rox's razor embedded in his skull at night as Baz was about finding Marla's knife at his throat. Nothing, muttered Baz. Just bitter about being dragged out here, I suppose. Trunnell harumped with what might have been understanding and filled his water skin. As he walked back to his camp, he passed right by Baz and said in a low voice, Maybe you won't be able to understand me through all the shoe polish, but I wouldn't sleep so easy at night if I were you. Speaker Xavier has never had any qualms over dishonesty when it suits him. Trunnell hoisted the waterskin over his shoulder and departed without another word, leaving Baz to look after him, gulping down a sudden lump in his throat. In all likelihood, Trunnell had just said that to get back at him for the earlier insult. Still, Baz seemed to find even more sharp stones than usual that night, and Rox's humming seemed particularly loud. He hardly got any sleep. The next day began like the others before, overcast but uneventful, and it likely would have remained that way if only Baz could have kept his mouth shut. They stopped at a brook a few hours into the day's journey to let their mounts drink. Marla had taken her speaker and harbor a short distance away from the rest of them to cast a spell for food. Baz had watched her do it several times already since they'd set out. Her speaker, mad as he seemingly was, constantly wringing his hands and licking his lips, appeared capable of growing any vegetable imaginable. Baz had seen him conjure carrots, cabbages, and even a few tomatoes, the sprouts springing from the ground and maturing to full-grown plants in a manner of seconds after just a few repeated words. But this morning he slipped up. Marla must have been planning to produce all the food she'd need for the remainder of the journey in a single spell, for this reading went on for substantially longer than any of the prior ones Baz had witnessed. She was nearing the end, and a tomato plant, taller than rocks, had wound its way up the side of a nearby tree. But then Marla stumbled over a syllable, and her speaker, Wretch was his name, shot a surprised glance at her, faltering in his pronunciation. The spell fizzled, Wretched skin breaking out in hives, and the tomato plant crumbling to dust. You idiot, roared Marla, backhanding Wretch across the face. The man collapsed to the ground, crying out like a small child. Marla kicked him in the gut. He curled into a ball, whimpering. 
she lifted her leg for another kick. Deliritus and Hellar seemed entirely oblivious to the scene, and Marla's harbor was actually grinning. Trunnell was off doing something or other for Hellar. Rox was down by the water with the horses. He appeared to be shaking his head, but was making no move to intervene. Baz was momentarily struck by a severe bout of life-threatening stupidity. Oh, come on, he shouted. You're the one who messed up the reading. Every set of eyes in the camp turned to him at once. Deliritus's seemed ready to fall right out of his head, and now it seemed that Rox was shaking his head at Baz. But all Baz could focus on was Marla. He was like a doe startled by a wolf, completely incapable of movement. The female speaker smiled at him and sauntered toward him. As she did, she drew a knife from her belt, the same one the Cityless had nearly used to kill Deliritus, some faraway part of Baz's mind realized. Distantly, he heard Deliritus give a cry of protest. Marla stopped within arm's reach of Baz. What did you say, little speaker? She waved the blade beneath Baz's nose. His eyes followed it back and forth. He considered apologizing, or even groveling, but finally decided that it was opening his mouth that had gotten him into this. Perhaps staying silent would keep him breathing. Nothing to say now, she said, still smiling. You know, where I come from, we'd cut out your tongue and feed it to you. And then we'd hang you by your ankles and start removing fingers, then hands, then ears and nose, until pretty soon you're a mute, but still very much alive, piece of enough. For a moment, Baz thought there'd been an earthquake, but then he realized rocks had spoken. The harbor was now only a few paces away, razor in hand. Deliritus was at his shoulder. Marla eyed the harbor, her smile growing sweet as a moldy cake. She slid the knife back into the sheath on her belt. You really should control your property, Deliritus, she said. For just a moment, she looked in Hellar's direction. The Xavier air gave a nearly imperceptible shake of his head. Marla snorted then spun and returned to her harbor and speaker, the latter still writhing on the ground in pain. "'Young Bastion,' Deliritus said once she'd gone. "'What were you thinking?' Baz didn't answer. His body was so full with the adrenaline of terror that he barely even heard Deliritus. But through the fog of horror clouding his senses, a single thought occurred to Baz— Hellar had made no effort at all to intervene. Whether that was because he was as duplicitous as Trunnell said, or because he had no more control over Marla than anyone could have over a rabid dog, Baz didn't know. And it didn't matter. What he did know was the dread he'd felt upon leaving Erstwhile had returned to the pit of his stomach, and this time he didn't think it'd be going away. All right, 
Welcome to episode 9, everyone. It's Thursday, March 10th, uh, 2022, as I record this, and it's uh, good to be back. I know you all had an episode to listen to last week, but that's because I uh, batch recorded a couple before I left for my vacation in Chicago last week, so it feels like forever (laughs) since I sat down to record, and it's uh, nice to be back chatting with all of you about fantasy, etc., um, just real quick, Chicago was a lot of fun. I shared a couple of, uh, photos <laughs> in, uh, my newsletter last week, which I wrote from my Airbnb up in Andersonville, which is, um, about 20 minutes north of downtown. It's a kind of a trendy neighborhood with lots of bars and restaurants. It was a good time there. Um, had a lot of amazing food and drink, probably <laughs> too much of both, but I guess that's what vacation is for a uh, couple of quick highlights there oh yeah went to goose island breweries tap room uh had some rare varieties of their famous barrel aged bourbon county stout so for those craft beer fans out there you probably uh know what i'm talking about uh also went to this great mediterranean restaurant called abba uh well aba i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure they called it abba but i, I don't don't totally recall um, but that was really good. Uh, if you're in Chicago, definitely recommend you try going there for dinner. Got this uh, lamb ragu hummus with pita bread. Uh, it was great. <laughs> so if you like Greek or Mediterranean food, definitely go uh, check them out next time you're in Chicago. Uh, and I even got some outlining on part four of the Spoken Books Uprising uh, done. In fact, I'm uh, nearly done with that outline. Probably going to start drafting the book soon so that's exciting i haven't actually done any writing um almost a couple months now i've been editing and working on the podcast here and releasing books which is all important but it'll be exciting to get back to creating uh, some new stories um final little update here if you subscribe to the newsletter uh you know this already uh, and you just head over to ddkane.com if you would like to to sign up for it. Uh, but uh, Declaimer's Discovery, which is part two, two of the Spoken Books Uprising, had its cover release this past Friday, and it is a beautiful cover. <laughs> Obviously, I'm a little biased, but I, uh, I really do uh, like it. I encourage you to uh, head over to the website and to check it out. Uh, you can, uh, of course, pre-order the book now. If, uh, if you so choose, it does release on April 15th. Uh, if you think you're going to read it, uh, I would uh, ask you to consider pre-ordering it now. Those pre-orders help boost my uh, ranking in the charts on launch day, which helps, uh, helps with visibility because, you know, the higher up on the charts, the more people are likely uh, to see it. So um, if you think you're going to end up ordering it at some point, consider just... Uh, Hit an order. Uh, <laughs> hit an order now. I'll, I'll leave an order link uh, in the show notes. Right. But uh, if you don't order it, that's fine too. We'll be reading Declaimer's Discovery together here uh, once we finish up reading the Actus Trials on the podcast. So uh, never fear. It's all coming at you for uh, for free here eventually <clears throat> as well. So why don't we uh, jump in here to our analysis 
uh, of chapter 10. We've got, you know, there's three kind of primary scenes here in the chapter, plus we get kind of this <laughs> glum introduction from Baz, uh, which we'll go over <coughs> in a minute. Uh, uh, j- just to start, I think, you know, last week, or maybe it was maybe it was two episodes ago, I, uh, you know, I recognize that, uh, you know, sometimes when I'm pointing stuff out, I'm kind of just like praising um, my own writing, which, you know, it's my podcast. I'm allowed to say nice things about my, <laughs> about my own book sometimes. Um, but I will give you a little bit of the opposite here. I don't, I'm not in love with chapter uh, 10. It's not, it's not necessarily, that's not to say it's terrible um, or anything, but it's not, it's just not one of the best chapters uh, in the book. You know, I'll, uh, little behind the curtain look here uh this chapter wasn't even in the original draft um well it was but it was just a placeholder i had a i just wrote myself a note you know something like travel scene with the other readers here and then i moved on because i uh couldn't think of anything to put there uh but i did want my readers to have an opportunity to meet the other competitors uh, in more detail than the brief glances we got at the uh, the torture scene with the cityless, and I guess I guess I did that here in chapter ten. Uh, but I do find the chapter a bit slow. Um, looking back, I I probably could have I probably could have done a better job on this one. But I don't know. Maybe that's also just because I uh, you know I know that I kind of just put this in here as a transition chapter, and maybe maybe it doesn't read that way for others who <clears throat> who uh, don't know that or maybe i just ruined the chapter maybe no one was thinking this and (laughs) no i've told you but uh but there you go and that's kind of the writing life there's always there's always something you could do better um but eventually you got to release that story out into the wild and move on to the next one you know i you know i I guess there's this philosophy you should work on until it's perfect right but i don't i don't want to you know write one book every five years i've got lots of stories to write that pace doesn't work for me so you know inevitably they're going to be little things that i could probably improve <clears throat> in each story but uh you know i don't want perfect to be the enemy of uh you know good enough or you know i don't settle for just good enough but if it's really good that's that's fine i'm uh, i'm not going to spend two more years getting it to like one percent better so there you go, and there's also this saying in the uh, the writing community. You know, if you don't look back on something you wrote a year or two ago and cringe a little, you're probably doing something wrong because that means your writing isn't uh, improving. So I guess I can take this as a positive sign and improvement, and and carry on here. So uh, there you go. Right. So <clears throat> we get this little, uh, you know, this introduction here. Baz's trotting away from erstwhile with the rest of the party uh, <laughs> he's already just downright morose right thinking about how he's traveling on the same road that that dead cityless um had traveled on oh, i'm walking in the footsteps. <laughs> he's basically saying i'm walking in the footsteps of a of a dead man because baz is kind of worried that he's going to die on this journey here too you know and we do and we see how jaded he is about life too I and mean, we've gotten you know a pretty good sense of this already but you know He's like, you know, sometimes I wish I had fond childhood memories, like how his brother had these memories of their father <clears throat> telling him bedtime stories. But uh, actually, he says he's glad of the awful experience he had when he was so young, which um, was seeing, obviously, tax, tax, tax getting his eyes uh, ripped out, right? You know, um, what does he say here? Um, it had taught him the reality of his existence, 
the usefulness, uselessness, geez, <laughs> when another behind the scenes here, when I was narrating the chapter, I must have messed this line up like three or four times. I, you know, I said usefulness here every time. Um, the, the, the actual line is, it had taught him the reality of his existence, the uselessness of resisting his circumstances, you know, and jeez, <laughs> Baz's attitude has gone from bad to worse here with his view uh, on things. Um, but I guess maybe part of us wonders too, uh, or maybe you should be wondering, you know, if put in the right situation, does Baz truly feel um, this way, you know, how it's useless resisting? I mean, you know, he didn't, uh, you know, he didn't stand there all apathetic when Deliritus was about to get killed by that city, unless he he took action, and he certainly isn't afraid to stand up to to Deliritus, it seems, right? Um, you know, and even, maybe he's not outwardly critical of other readers, but certainly inwardly he's very critical um, of them. So he's certainly not, um, he's certainly not someone who is just looking to, to grovel <laughs> in front of others. So for all the, uh, the defeatist self-talk Baz has... Um, you know, he does kind of seem to be a, a man of action when it really comes down to it. So let's see how that develops as the story continues to unfold. Um, and I've broken the rest of the chapter down here into three sections. This first section I'm, I'm uh, deeming, did Deliritus just do something useful? <laughs> and uh, I think that's actually uh, exactly what Baz says at the end of this section. Um, but yeah, Deliritus shows some cojones here, right? You know, <laughs> he sees Hellar and, you know, well, they, you know, so they're all, all three of their groups, you know, Hellar, Marla, and Deliritus, you know, they've each got their harbor and speaker. So the three trios, they're all kind of traveling apart from each other. But as soon as they turn the corner, erstwhile's out of view, Hellar and Marla, you know, get together and they start, uh, they start whispering to one another, you know, and, um, you know, to this point, Deliritus has kind of been a bit of, you know, a bit foppish, right? A bit of a wimp, but, uh, but not here. He sort of just butts in, right? And he's not going to let these other two, uh, just gang up on him without trying something. Um, and he, you know, he's realistic too. So he's not just, uh, he's not just ignorant going up here. He, he knows, he knows what he's doing, even if, um, he doesn't come out and say it, you know? He understands neither Xavier nor Kolar is probably interested in a true alliance with alliance with Torchsire. You know, Xavier is so far above Torchsire. What do they care? And Kolnar and Xavier, or Kolnar and Torchsire Library, are kind of competitors. They're both kind of lower on the library food chain. Uh, so you know, they're not going to work together either. You know, but he's uh, you know he shows you know Deliritus has some smarts here. You know, remember he is a. Uh, he is the heir to a library. Presumably, he's been trained uh, as such. You know, we saw he's been doing speaking lessons with his with his uncle back a few chapters ago. So he's probably getting training in other things. You know, and so he a bit of a savvy move here. He offers some political advantage to Hilar. Um, You know, he says, you know, you know, what does Torchsire have to offer you? Well, you know, not. Not much, but you know, Excal Library—they are, uh, you know, <laughs> what is what does LR say? He calls them, you know, they're lichen on Xavier Tower. And Deliritus is like, well, maybe, but that lichen is creeping taller uh, every year. You're going to need some support here in the coming years to keep your influence. 
Um, you know, and for those of you uh, who who have forgotten Xcall Library, you know, only mentioned briefly, but they're the library who won the trials a few years ago. And they found this this great spoken book that um, helps the illits grow plants, potato plants, right in their houses, so they can just have their own little gardens, and that that really boosted their standing because all of the illits wanted to go buy that spell <clears throat> from the readers at Xcall Library, so. Galir just like, well, you know, I'll, I'll throw my, I'll throw my support, my library support behind you if you, uh, <laughs> you know, you don't, you don't kill me on the trials here. You know, he's even got the guts to lie, right? You know, he says his father will recognize any promises he makes, even though Baz is pretty certain Duke Octavenal told Deliritus no such thing. So, you know, Deliritus has taken taken some initiative here. Um, there does also seem to be an interesting dynamic between Marla and Hellar. You know, she doesn't. You know, she's certainly not showing him any respect, it doesn't really seem. She's kind of like, you know, sneering and incredulous with what he's doing. But she she does stop talking when he interrupts her or motions for her to be silent. You know, maybe the two of them had some sort of deal worked out already, and now Deliritus is jeopardizing that somehow. Marla obviously is not happy when <clears throat> Hellar decides to accept Deliritus's offer here. And we already know she's someone we don't <laughs> want to mess with. So maybe getting this tenuous alliance with Hellar isn't all it's, it seems to be cracked up to be. Um, if it means Marla wanting to get back at Deliritus. So, um, you know, probably some foreshadowing of some not-so-great things to come here. Um, and then really the... The last little bit here. Did you did you notice how Deliritus slipped in this term into his truce that, you know, they aren't to harm one another's harbors or speakers? You know, uh, you know, Hellar asks him for his terms. Hellar's got his monotonous voice. Terms. What are your terms? Uh, nothing onerous. Not uh, not try to murder one another's speakers and harbors like a bunch of animals. Well, let's just ask. Let's just act act like human beings. Is that asking too much? <laughs> so, uh, you know, Delirit, you know, is Deliritus just protecting his assets, though, or uh, does he have a bit of heart hidden under his uh, his foolish giant hat here? You know, <laughs> um, I don't know. We'll have to we'll have to see. We've seen some signs already that maybe Deliritus, um, you know, obviously he still has slaves, but um, maybe he's not uh, nearly as bad as some of the other readers. So. What we'll to keep that in mind? All right, so the the next part here I've dubbed uh, "bitter as boot black." Um, you know, and uh, I just said is you know this is kind of a tenuous alliance it seems here with Hellar, and uh, we kind of see almost immediately that we shouldn't be putting too much stock in it, right? You know, for, we have this quick scene uh, of Baz talking with Trunnell, who is Hellar's speaker. Um, he was the influencer was trying to help get the cityless to answer the torturer's questions back in chapter four. <clears throat> uh, you know, and initially Baz is kind of being antagonistic with him, accusing him of kissing Hellar's boots, you know, because Trunnell kind of like glances over to Hellar's camp like he's like looking for permission to talk to Baz. Though is that really what Trunnell was doing? Because, uh, uh, you know, uh, hold, hold that for just one second. But so... You know, Baz quickly realizes, well, you know, Trun Trunnel's probably just as concerned about getting killed as Baz is. So, you know, he steps back 
on his insult, really realizing he's probably uh, <laughs> probably opened his mouth when he shouldn't have, which is a problem Baz uh, will consistently have here throughout the the novel. He's got a he's got a mouth that likes to run, which is funny because he makes fun of Deliritus um, for that, and but Baz kind of has the <laughs> Baz kind of has the same problem. Um, yeah, what is he sitting here on? Geez, Trunnell's probably worried about getting his head chopped off by Rox's razor or something, <laughs> something like that. So, um, but then, okay, so Trunnell then drops his bomb on his way back, which is, you know, this actually, you know, is this why he was looking back towards Hellar's camp? Because he actually wanted to say, uh, say something to Baz that he didn't want Hellar to hear. You know, he's, you know, Hellar's got no, uh, issue with dishonesty when it suits him, Baz, kind of you know, murmurs this to him ominously and then walks away. You know, I'm, uh, you know, is Trinnell just getting back at Bass for this earlier insult about kissing Hellar, or Hellar's boots, or uh, is he trying to help him? Uh, don't know. So, but obviously, uh, obviously we're seeing here that um, <coughs> this is not going to be a uh, <laughs> happy marriage between Deliritus and the other competitors here, it seems pretty likely. Um, and then our final section of the chapter here, uh, dubbed, first we'd feed you your tongue, then start removing fingers. <laughs> you know, we close uh, the chapter here with another look at Marla, and it's uh, not any better than what we saw earlier, right? Uh, she gives us kind of a front row seat to how poorly some readers treat their speakers. You know, she makes this mistake reading this spell, and that makes the spell, you know, that messes the spell up. You know, they're trying to make this huge, what I think it's a tomato plant, right? And then she slips up, and, you know, the speaker speaker mispronounces it, and the whole thing, uh, uh, the whole thing collapses. And what does she do? She <laughs> she punches her speaker for her mistake, and then he, you know, he kind of uh, collapses in on himself, and then she kicks him in the gut while he's down. Um you know, geez, Hellar and Deliritus don't even react to this, which kind of shows how desensitized they are to, you know, this kind of treatment. Um, but what does what does Baz do? You know, another example here of Baz kind of opening his mouth where he probably shouldn't, though at least here he's opening it because uh, he's got this innate sense of right. Yeah, that uh, we've already seen it several times throughout the book. Um, of course, Baz doesn't see it that way. Yeah. Uh, he calls it a severe bout of life-threatening <laughs> stupidity. Uh, you know, he yells Marla for to stop it. You know, geez, you were the one who messed up the reading. Don't, don't punch him. You know, and of course, uh, Marla doesn't doesn't care for uh, that being spoken like that, being spoken to like that by someone who she views as being so far below her. You know, she kind of pulls out the knife here, which uh, Baz, <laughs> some part of Baz's mind realizes, is the same knife that. Uh, she had down in the torture chamber and the one that the city list grabbed to try to kill Deliritus. Um, and she starts explaining to him in, you know, these pretty, in pretty graphic terms, right, about what she would do to him if given the chance. And, you know, who knows? Maybe she would start doing that, too, if, uh, you know, of all people, who steps in? It's Brox. Rocks to the rescue, our, <laughs> our giant protector here. Enough, he says. You know, he's got his razor out, right? So, uh... You know, Rox is kind of quickly turning into a bit of a teddy bear here, uh, right? Uh, well, maybe I shouldn't say right, but what do, you, <laughs> what do you think? You know, Baz noted earlier in the chapter that he he hums these sad enigman ballads to himself at night when he's uh, on guard duty. And uh, 
did you catch that Rox was also the only person who kind of had any negative reaction to Marla kicking her speaker? Uh, you know, Baz said he looked over, and it looked like Rox was shaking his head at the scene. Uh, and now he's potentially saved Baz from, from Marla's wrath. So Rox, uh, Rox definitely someone to, to keep an eye on here. He, you know, we certainly made him out as the kind of just the, the bloodthirsty giant bodyguard in the beginning. And, you know, there's there's definitely a lot more depth to this guy. <clears throat> You know, and that's the chapter, uh, really. We're left very much doubting the benefit of this truce deliritus um, brokered with Hellar at the beginning. You know, uh, you know, it did show, you know, deliritus, uh, deliritus not, not completely useless, but um, you have to wonder, uh, you know, where this truce is going, and it's probably not anywhere good. Uh, you know, and Baz, as Baz points out, you know, even if Hellar isn't lying, even if he intends to, to keep to these terms, uh, he probably doesn't seem to have any true control over Marla. You know, it, well, either that or maybe they are just working together behind Deliritus's back. You know, either way, it's not going to end well. You know, we see Marla uh, look at Hellar and he shakes his head there at the end of the chapter. You know, what does that mean? Are they waiting for something else? Or, you know, maybe Hellar does have more control over Marla? than Baz thinks. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see what happens next week. Um, all right, so a bit of a shorter week here, but uh, next week is going to be a doozy and uh, likely a longer one, so stay tuned. We're going to read chapters 11 and 12, and uh, these might be some of the most exciting chapters in the book, so I'm definitely looking forward to sharing those with you, and I hope you are looking forward to uh, hearing me read them to you. Uh, so for homework, I, I didn't want to do too much here because there's a lot that happens, and I didn't want to give you too many spoilers here. But, uh, uh, you know, we saw Deliritus take some initiative here in Chapter 10. Baz is going to take some serious initiative uh, in Chapters 11 and 12, and he's also going to... Uh, well, the initiative he takes is going to answer a question some of you have probably been wondering about since the beginning of the book, so keep an eye out for that. Uh, and then Deliritus has a certain, well, reaction to something that Baz does. You know, and what do you think? Is, was this a predictable reaction or a stupid reaction? Maybe a little of both? I don't know. Uh, let me know what you think. And uh, I think that's... That's all, the, that's all the homework I'm going to give you this week. I just want you to just enjoy these two chapters. So, of course, you can enjoy every chapter without doing your homework because I do it all for you in the following episode. <clears throat> that's the beauty of D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. I do all the work for you. Uh, all right. I uh, didn't get any questions this week. I don't know if that's because I was out in Chicago or what, but definitely uh, keep sending in your questions. Uh, that's one of my most favorite parts of the podcast actually is, is answering, uh, those questions that really, you know, I feel like I'm having a conversation with you guys anyway, but I really feel like it's a conversation when I get some questions to answer. So send, send those in dtkane at dtkane.com or, um, I am at dtkane author on both Twitter and Facebook. You can drop me, uh, a question there, either of those places. Um, all right, this week's quest. I would like you to send me a curse phrase based on something bad happening to books. So that's how we curse um, in the Spoken Books Uprising universe, right? You know, 
bloody burning pages or uh, torn pages or spilled ink. You know, those are the kind of curse words that, uh, <laughs> that we use in this world. And Baz is going to be in lots of situations coming up that call for cursing. Uh, so I would love to hear what some of you all come up with. Um, we'll make this even a bit more of a competition this week. So I'm going to give three experience each uh, to my three favorite submissions. So not everyone is going to get experience for this one. Just uh, my three top picks. So get creative. Let me know. Uh, <laughs> give me some ideas here. So uh, that'll be fun. Hopefully, uh, hopefully a lot of you participate in that. All right, and then we'll close with a quote. As always, this week's comes from uh, the incomparable Robert Jordan, uh, author of the Wheel of Time series. This one is from The Dragon Reborn. Um, Does it make you brave to stick your hand in a bear's mouth? Would you do it again just because you didn't die? <laughs> um <clears throat> It's, uh, I mean, that, that, that's a good one. I'm not, I'm not sure if that is quite applicable to this week's chapter, though. Um, you know, I guess Baz certainly, uh, Baz certainly doesn't view himself as a hero, but he is going to need uh, some courage here in the coming chapters, though he also has a tendency to kind of do stupid things sometimes, as does uh, Deliritus. So some of the themes of this quote... Um, uh, ring true uh, just because you got away with doing something really dangerous you know the, are you brave or are you stupid <laughs> for doing that so uh, interesting I think we'll certainly see circumstances of that in chapters to come so keep that in mind and that's all so until next time this has been DT Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club Future Dan, <clears throat> Chapter 10-3. Thanks for listening to DT Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. If you liked today's episode, please consider rating and reviewing wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're watching on YouTube, give this video a thumbs up if you liked it and hit that subscribe button and the bell so you get notified whenever new episodes become available. If you'd like to listen to back episodes or review the show notes, visit dtkane.com slash podcast. DT Kane's novels are available for purchase at most major online retailers, or you can purchase directly from his website at www.dtkane.com slash books. You can receive a free short story and sign up for DT Kane's mailing list at dtkane.com slash email dash sign up. If you'd like to connect, you can find DT Kane on Facebook at DT Kane Author or Twitter at DT Kane Author, or send DT Kane an email at dtkane at dtkane.com. See you next week.